Part two was this past Wednesday, part one the Wednesday before, and uh, both of those are now on the website as of this afternoon, and so that way you can go back and listen if you didn't catch everything there. But uh, uh, I think it's been an interesting study, but ultimately we're talking about what we believe. We've been looking at... Uh, 2 Peter 1 as our theme, life and godliness, in verse 5 tells us to add to these things. And so we're adding to faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. And so where do we gain our knowledge? As we looked at an introduction to knowledge at the beginning of April, we learned that our knowledge comes from God. And so these are some things that we believe that we've been looking at on Wednesday night. Uh, and so tonight, since this Wednesday is the first of the new month, this will be the end. We're going to wrap up uh, this lesson on dispensationalism. So, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, He might gather to Himself in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this evening. We thank You for the opportunity to study Your Word. Lord, we thank You that we do not have to wander through this life and uh, go from one area to the next, hoping that we're living the way that You want us to, hoping that we are living in a way that is pleasing to You, but we know uh, that we can trust You. We know that You've given us Your Word, and we know how we can live a life that is fulfilling and uh, spiritually successful in Your eyes and not by the world standards. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Be with us now as we study together. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So we're talking about the kingdom. We looked at the law and we looked at the dispensation of grace, which we know is the church age. That's where we're in right now. And the upcoming dispensation that, that everyone is always talking about is the kingdom. The kingdom. And so we know uh, this past Wednesday we looked at that phrase, the day of the Lord. We looked at the phrase, the day of the Lord, and I, I think I already gave you both the, uh, the last two blanks, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but tonight, we're going to look at the fullness of time and the gathering. The gathering. The fullness of time and the gathering. All three phrases uh, in Scripture that are referring, two of which right here in Ephesians chapter 1, referring to the kingdom and the other two, the, the other phrase we see in the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ, the day of God. And so we talked about that this past Wednesday. Back at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 again, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Now we pointed out Wednesday that it's important to note that this times is plural and not singular. And there's a reason for that. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I love smart water. Beth always asks if I feel like it makes me smart. And I said, no, I drink it because I am smart. Amen. That's, that's the label there, smart water. I'm, I'm smart, that's why I'm drinking it. It doesn't make me smart. All right, anyway. All right. Fullness of times. Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, 
it, sound, it sounds like similar phrasing. It sounds like similar phrasing, but we have to remember that there are different times. And when we see those time words, we need to understand from the context what it's talking about. What is the coming of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh? What do we know that is? It, we know it, or what do we know that as, rather? We know it. That's what I get for saying I'm smart. Amen. I just mess up my phrases all over the. All right. Uh, uh, we know it as the mystery of godliness. What's a mystery? Someone help me out. Something that's not been known before. Turn to uh, uh, 1 Timothy, I believe. Maybe it's 2, but let's look at 1 Timothy 3. Bless you. 1 Timothy 3. Verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then we've seen this before. This defines the mystery of godliness in the rest of the verse. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world... Received up into glory. That's the mystery of godliness. The prophets had no idea that the next prophet, that coming anointed one, was going to be God in the flesh. They had no clue. They're still not looking for God in the flesh. Right now, they're just looking for the next Moses. They rejected the only begotten of the Father some 2,000 years ago because it was a mystery. That's why it's called the mystery of of godliness. Now, when we look at Galatians chapter 4, this reference to when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law. What is this fullness of time? It's the birth of the Savior. That's what's being referenced here. And thus begins the transition to the times of the Gentiles, meaning what? Well, the Gentiles have already been in rule. Amen. Since Daniel, the Gentiles have been in charge of Israel and of Jerusalem. And so it's important to understand these divisions in the Word of God. So you know what you're reading. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the fullness of time, singular, was a specific time when Jesus, the only begotten from the Father, would be born. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we're talking about the fullness of times. The fullness of times. This is reference to the millennial age or the perfect age. I'm going to put this back on the screen. Amen. You may not have this with you. Anybody have it with them? You could reference back to it. Very good. Okay. We're going to leave this up here for the remainder of the service because I gave you all the blanks already. Because I want us to notice something as we look at this fullness of time and the gathering together. Now, the fullness of time and the gathering together... I wonder if there's a way to zoom in. Probably not. No. That's what happens when I try. All right, there we go. The fullness of time and the gathering together we see are very similar in what they're referencing. I want us to look... Let's start with Daniel chapter 7. Turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. 
And this is going to help us with some of these time words because they help. Well, I have it up here. I just want to see if you guys had, if you had it to follow along. Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 24 with me. And the ten horns out of the kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. A time and times and a dividing of time. Now, if you remember our study in Daniel chapter 7, uh, uh, or if you've studied Daniel chapter 7, what is the time and time and dividing of times? Three and a half years. Time and time and dividing of times, as, you've stud as we've studied this before, but it's important to understand this reference to three and a half years. How long is the tribulation? If you, we're pre-tribulation, we believe the rapture will begin, uh, the tribulation will start after the rapture, and then the uh, tribulation will be seven years. The first half, what's half of seven? 3.5. Three and a half. That's half of seven. The first three and a half years, there will be peace. The Antichrist will be ruling, the temple will be being built, and there will be an accord with Israel and the enemies of Israel. There will be peace, finally, at least it will seem like it, in Israel. And then at three and a half years, the Antichrist, and that's where we're at in Daniel 7, the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and a dividing of time. So... The Antichrist will come in. Now this is, I'm just kind of overviewing without looking at every passage. The Antichrist will go into the temple. He will assert, I am God, worship me. And for three and a half years, he will have rule on the earth. Notice, he will seek to change, think to change times and laws. Look at the latter part of this verse. And they shall be given into his hand. All that was previous shall be given into the hand of the Antichrist. And he's going to rule for three and a half years during the time of great tribulation. And this is the time when Matthew 24 and 25 tells the children of Israel, when you see the abomination of desolation, flee. So he says, woe unto them that give suck in those days. Why? Because if you have children to take care of and you're trying to flee, that's a lot harder. That's why he says that. Because they're running for their lives and they're going to run to the rock Petra. And we just don't have time to get into all of that. But that, I just wanted us to see these time words in Scripture. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Here's another instance where we have time words in Scripture. Revelation chapter 12. And anytime you see a time word, now I don't mean the word time itself, but a reference to time, ages, time, times, hour, uh, days... Moment. These are time words. It's important to take note because it's speaking, it means of a specific time, of a certain era. So, Revelation chapter 12, I want us to look at verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished for a time 
and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Now, the woman here is, represent, is representative of Israel. And she is given two wings of a great eagle because in Scripture, the only people that you see with wings like eagles are the people of God. That's it. Now, there are, two, there are women in Zephaniah, I believe it is, chapter 5, maybe chapter 7. And those women have wings, but they're wings as storks. And they're representative of demons. Interesting study to look at the winged creatures in Scripture. You say, well, that's getting kind of far. Look, it's, just, it's in the Bible, amen? I, I'm not making it. It's just there. But this is a type. The dragon persecutes the woman. The dragon is the Antichrist. The woman is Israel. And she will flee into the wilderness for how long? A time and times and half a time. And she's going to be what? Nourished there. God will protect His people. He will protect His own for that three and a half years. It's very important that we see that. We understand, but this is another reference to some time passages. Now, back to Ephesians. Or turn, go ahead and turn to Acts. We're talking about the fullness of times. Acts chapter 3. Now here's where I want us to notice. And remember Galatians chapter 4? You turn to Acts 3. I'm going to, turn to, I'm going to read at Galatians 4.4 4 again. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Now remember, what does Timothy teach us? 1 Timothy the coming of Christ was a mystery, had not yet been foretold, had not been known. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing, now there's a time word, shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until when? Times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. That means the time of restitution, the time of refreshing, is referenced in the Old Testament. The fullness of time, singular, is not. It's not known. They had no idea. It was a mystery that God would come in the flesh and dwell among sinful men and be crucified and buried and rose, uh, rise again on the third day according to the Scripture. That's a mystery. What's Peter talking about here? First of all, who is Peter's audience? Jews. Where, where is this at? He's admonishing those after he has healed the lame man. This is after the time of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit has come down, the Comforter has come, and he's preaching of the God of Abraham. And I look at verse 13 the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, who is Peter, a Jew. Who's he preaching to? Jews. And he's preaching to them of the prophets. What did the prophets foretell? The time of refreshing. The time of restitution. Keep your place in Acts 3. Look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19. 
Anytime you talk about divisions in Scripture and dispensations and future events, it's always best to reference the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And to try to find the context, which isn't hidden. God reveals it to us. So Matthew 19, look at verse 28. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the what? Regeneration, when the Son of Man shall what? Sit in the throne of His glory. Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of what? Israel. Context of this in Matthew? Israel. Who's it written specifically to? Israel. What's he referencing? The regeneration. Remember what Peter said? The times of refreshing, the times of restitution. Jesus calls it the regeneration. When will this happen? When the Son of Man, who is who? Jesus Christ, shall sit in the throne of His glory. When will that happen? Millennial reign. That's the time of the refreshing, the regeneration, the restitution that the prophets foretold. Turn to Isaiah 65. Man, has it already been 15 minutes? Okay, Isaiah 65. Time flies when you're having fun. I don't know about you. I love Bible studies. Isaiah 65, verse 17. Jesus tells us the regeneration will occur when the Son of Man is sitting in the throne of His glory. Isaiah 65, verse 17 through 25. For behold... I'll wait till you get there. I want you to see this. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be a curse. Let's just keep reading. Verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking... I will hear, verse 25, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith who? The Lord. The Lord. What is this a picture of? How earth will be when the rightful king is upon the throne. Notice this is a picture of how the, uh, the millennial reign will be. It's also a picture of what it'll be like in, as the first part of verse 17, 
a new heaven, new heavens, and a new earth. Now that sounds very familiar, Revelation, amen? Let's look at it, Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, immediately after the judgment seat of Christ, what does John the Revelator see? Revelation chapter 21, verse number 1, And I saw a new heaven, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. I like this verse right here because this shows me that beaches are ungodly. Amen. You didn't know where I was. You knew where I was going with that already. Verse 1, look at it. No more sea. If there's no more sea, there's no more beaches. Amen. That's just the way it works. You notice it doesn't say there's no... Do you know what there will be, if you think about it? Mountains, but no beaches. People have been coming to the mountains from the beaches. People go to the beaches from the mountains. What's going to happen in heaven? They're going to go to the Mount of God. Amen. So mountains are godly and beaches are not. That, that settles it. They're right there in the Bible. Amen. All right. I thought I'd get one amen considering we're in the mountains. All right? Amen. Okay. Now, some of you are planning your, your vacations. And you're wanting to go to the, some of you want to go to the... That's what it is. That, I've, I've, I've stepped on toes. I apologize. Amen. Didn't mean to ruin a vacation. All right. I want us to consider these new heavens and the new earth. This occurs under the fullness of times. Now, notice... The dispensation of the fullness of times. If you look at your chart, it's under section 8. Number 2, number 3. 3, 2, 8. You can see that there in the final part. The dispensation of the fullness of times. Because that's when all of it, the fullness of times, all of it will end. Because what happens at the end of the fullness of times? Eternity. Amen. Eternity. When does the fullness of times begin? At the rapture, the tribulation occurs. The fullness of times is starting to come to a close. You start seeing the tribulation of those days. There's seven years, three and a half of peace, three and a half of terrible times, and all for Israel, because the church won't be here. The age of grace is over. The Holy Spirit is taken away. And the Holy Spirit's the earnest of our inheritance. If the Holy Spirit's taken away, we got to go with Him. Amen? And so therefore, it is the time of Jacob's trouble. And then all of a sudden, at the end of seven years, Jesus Christ comes, Revelation 9, 18 and 19, and He comes and He wipes out the armies of the earth and He starts to separate the sheep nations from the goat nations, thus beginning the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And then we're only a thousand years away from the end of time. A thousand years away from the end of time. Why? Because what happens at the end of time? Everything is destroyed by fire. We just read it, Revelation chapter 21, after the new, before the new heaven and new earth. What happens? Verse 10, the devil that deceived... Or verse 7 of Revelation 20. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. I remember, and, and we don't have, if you look at the reference to the four corners or the four quarters or the four parts of the earth, the four winds, north, south, east, west, anytime you see that in Scripture, what's it referencing? The whole earth. The whole earth. Four is the number of creation in the Word of God. It's an interesting study. Four is the number of creation. Notice, 
to deceive the nations which are in the four courts of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. I find it interesting that at the end of a thousand years of the perfect king ruling and reigning, there's still a numerous amount of people who are unhappy and don't want to serve the Creator God, even though He's been ruling and reigning from His throne. Verse 9, They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. What is that beloved city? The beloved city is always Jerusalem. That's the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne. So you have the destruction of heaven and earth. The great white throne. Immediately after the great white throne, new heaven and new earth. And thus ending the fullness of times has come and we will live forever in eternity with Christ Jesus. This is the fullness of times. And then we have the reference to the gathering together. The gathering together. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, Romans chapter 8, very quickly. Romans chapter 8. Keep your place in Ephesians 1, Romans chapter 8. The new heaven and the new earth. The fullness of times. That's what the prophets foretold. That's what Israel is waiting for, their Messiah to come, because they know that's going to start. That's when they know everything is supposed to be okay. Now what the problem is, is two-thirds of the people of God will be deceived... When I say the people of God during the tribulation, who am I talking about? The Jews. Say it together. The Jews, right? Israel. Why? Because by the end of the tribulation, two-thirds of Israel is gone. Two-thirds of the human population, gone. The Bible says that the tribulation, if it didn't have a set time, all of the living creatures on earth would die. Couldn't handle it. That's why seven years, it's over, it's done. And then that small remnant, one-third of the children of God who hid and did not serve the Antichrist or follow after Him, they will be saved in a day. That's what the Bible is referencing when it talks about the salvation of Israel in a day. Now, Romans chapter 8, the church, we're looking for the coming of Christ... Right? We're looking for the rapture. We're looking for that great day. Israel is looking for the Messiah. The earth is looking for the fullness of times. Look at Romans 8, verse 19. The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. When will the sons of God be manifest? At the end of the tribulation, when we come with Christ, that great army, because then we are the saints that are coming in with Him. That's Revelation 17, 18, 19. You see that. Verse 20. The creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who hath subjected the same in hope. Verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
verse 22. We know that the whole earth groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. It travaileth, it groaneth in pain. Why? Because God did not create this earth to decay. It was created with perfection. Man messed it up at the fall, right? That's why we'll never figure out global warming or climate change. Never will be figured out. Not going to happen. The one thing we do know is there's going to be an earth to destroy at the end of the thousand years, right? We know that's going to happen. So what's earth? It groans and travails in pain. Waiting for the redemption. Waiting for the time of restitution, the time, as Jesus called it, of regeneration. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, very quickly, the gathering together. The dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. Now we're not going to take a lot of time here because a lot of the references are the same as the fullness of times because that's when the gathering together occurs at the fullness of times, at that beginning, the millennial reign, when the whole earth rejoices because the Creator King is finally ruling and reigning on the throne of David. Israel will rejoice because they're waiting for their king. The church will rejoice because we will be serving in that second part of our reward. Not only do we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stone, but the Bible teaches that those that are uh, the saints, those that have died and gone on, that have died and been buried in Christ, that our reward will be that we get to rule and reign with Him in that time. So the church is looking for that opportunity to serve God. Israel is looking for that opportunity for their Messiah, their King. And the earth is looking for the Creator. And at one time, at the beginning of the thousand years, He gathers all things to Himself in Christ Jesus. Now I want us to see something. Two things and we're done. Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah. Chapter 1. Don't hear a lot of sermons out of Zephaniah, do you? Amen. Ever so often. Zephaniah chapter 1. Remember, the gathering together, the fullness of times, goes together. It begins at the end of the tribulation, and it ends with the flood by fire, this gathering together. Because then what happens to the creation? It's gone. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth. But I want us to see together verse 1. Zephaniah chapter 2. I don't think this is a coincidence. You know what? Let's start in chapter 1. Start at verse 14. I think I told you chapter 1. Start in verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Now that's, that's a good start, indicator of what we're talking about. The day of the Lord. Specific day. The day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble, 
and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet, amen, and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers, and I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like Blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of His jealousy, for He shall make even a speedy riddance of them that dwell in the land. Now stop before we get to chapter 2. I want us to remember Wednesday night we talked about 1 Thessalonians. And we talked about the catching away, that rapture. And the Bible says, comfort one another with these words. I don't see rejoicing or comfort here. Amen? Why? Because the day of the Lord and the catching away are two different events. The church can't be raptured at the end of the tribulation. Why? Because there's no rejoicing for the church at the end of the tribulation if we have to go through it. That means two-thirds of us will have faced the wrath of God. And the Bible promises that we are saved from wrath. That's what the Bible teaches. Also, we're not Jacob. Isaiah calls the tribulation the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. Who are we? We are Christ. We are Christ, and Christ already was persecuted and crucified. We are His body. Why in the world would God, why in the world would God persecute His own body again? Well, if you believe in replacement theology, I guess it's not that far-fetched. But you see, we don't buy that here. The Bible is very clear. God's not finished with Israel. The day of the Lord will come. It will not be a day of rejoicing. It will be a day of wrath. Now notice this phrase, chapter 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves together. Yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, verse 3, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth which have wrought His judgment. Seek righteousness. Seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Now remember, who is this written to? Israel. What's the reference, the context? The day of the Lord. End of the tribulation, millennial reign of Christ, Armageddon. That's the context. The end of the seven years, the beginning of the millennium, right in there. Now, seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which hath wrought his judgment. Keep your place here and turn to Matthew 5. Look at this. This is just, this gave me goosebumps. I, I don't know about you, but I, I get goosebumps every time I read something like this. Because Matthew chapter 5 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. We hear this and we say, this is what we're supposed to live like as Christians. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's not. The book of Matthew is written to show Jesus Christ as what? King. king. But the king of what? Not all the earth. King of the Jews. King of the Jews. 
Starts off with the lineage from Abraham and David, 14 generations to Abraham, 14 generations. You see what I'm saying? It's filled with Jewish offices and Jewish references, and everything in this book is written specifically to the Jew. It's the gospel for the Jew. It promotes Jesus Christ as the rightful king to the throne of David. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is describing a time when the rightful king will rule and there will be peace on the earth. Notice verse number 5. Remember Zephaniah 2, 3, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Blessed are the what? Meek. What's going to happen to the meek? They're going to inherit the earth. Notice all the way back in Zephaniah chapter 2, the promise of God, the commandment of God to Israel in the time leading up to this great day of wrath. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Notice, remember, seek righteousness, seek meekness. Look at verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This book, this sermon, is a promise to God's people Israel that the day of the Lord is at hand. But if you will be meek and seek after righteousness... It may be you'll be hid from the day of the Lord's anger. Jesus is going to gather together in all, all things to Himself. That includes the people of God, the Jews. Heaven and earth, Jew, and because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Gentile. Us. We get to take part because of what Christ did. Isaiah chapter 65 again. I want us to go back there. And I want us to close on this note. Isaiah 65. I want us to see this. We've already read the verse, but I want us to look at it again. As Christians, we are what? We're not carnal. We should be opposite of flesh. Spiritual. We're spiritually alive. Amen. We're not carnal. We're not fleshly. We're spiritual. Now, do we still struggle with the flesh? Absolutely. Notice this. I want us to look at this verse, and then I want you to consider this. This will be the challenge tonight as we close up this sermon on dispensationalism. This is part three, amen? As we close this up, I want us to look at verse 17. Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. That's exciting, amen? And all God's people, when we hear that God will create a new heaven and a new earth, when God says, I make all things new, we say, Amen. We're going to receive a new body. We're going to have a mind like Christ. We're going to have a heavenly home. The former shall not be... What's that word? Remembered. remembered nor come into mind. The former life... The former, before all things are made new. Before the new heaven. Notice, verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. 
turn to Revelation. I said Isaiah 65. Keep your place in Isaiah 65. Because I want us to flip back and forth. All right? Revelation 21. We're almost done, I promise. Verse 4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are what? Passed away. Now this is what we think of when we think of the former things, all the pain and suffering we've ever gone through. All those bad things that have ever happened to us. But that's not what the Bible says. The former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. The former what? The former life. When all things are made new and we are made new in Christ, you want to know how He wipes away all tears? We don't have this life holding us down anymore at all. You say, well, you know those questions, will people have babies in heaven? Not Christians. What do we mean by that? Meaning that everybody that's been raptured, that's gone, that comes back with Christ Jesus, we're His body. We're not our own. What are we going to be doing in heaven forever? Serving Him. Worshiping Him. Amen. Do you, if, think about this. What happens during the tribulation? Seven years. People are still going to be giving in marriage, having children, growing old, dying. What happens to them? Great white throne judgment. Here's the common thing that we're taught. At the great white throne judgment, everybody dies and goes to hell. That's not true. Because the people that have lived in the... What's going to happen in the millennial reign? All those people that survived the tribulation, because the Bible says there are sheep nations, right? If they live for God, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Amen? Live for God in the tribulation. Live for God in the millennial reign. How about consider this, that child that's born at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ and lives and does not die. Has never known the tribulation, other than stories. Has never known. Now, that may be how Satan amasses his armies at the end because they never knew the former life and all of the things that Christ delivered the earth from. I don't know. The Bible's not clear on that. But all of these things at the end will not be remembered. The former things. Now, think about this. Dying and going to heaven. We look at it as a wonderful thing. But if that means that you won't remember the people that you're sitting next to right now, is it still a comfort? Think about that. Is it still a comfort? Oh, but I love so and so. Then we're holding on to some carnal things. It's quiet. But consider that. Well, I don't believe that. I believe that I'll know. I think we're going to know each other and we're going to have a more unified life. Why? Because we're not going to remember the old things. The former things. That's what's happened. That's what he tells us, Isaiah 65. The former shall not be remembered, nor what? Come into mind. That's when he wipes away all tears. You say, well, wait a second. I'm not going to know my spouse. I don't know. The former things are going to be gone. Well, heaven won't be heaven without... Listen, heaven's going to be heaven because of Christ. And if there's any reservation in your mind that heaven's not heaven because you're not going to know so-and-so, then what we've done is we've created idols. 
right? That means we're holding on to some fleshly things. And when we get to heaven, all tears are going to be wiped away. You've got no choice. It's going to happen. You can't lose your salvation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's why Jesus said in the resurrection when the lawyers and the Pharisees asked Him if a woman had a husband and her husband died and then she, he had so many brothers and they all died. Who's she married to in the resurrection? What did Jesus say? She's not married to any of them. Why? She's married to God. We, we're not going to be a part of each other. We're a part of the body of Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Here's the challenge. You know, Ephesians chapter 1 starts off, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We read Romans chapter 8, and we looked at verse 20. But two verses prior to that, Paul says, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Friend, look, we're looking for a risen Savior to come back and to catch us away. We're looking for a time... Look, your life is more than just living a few years, maybe, maybe 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 some odd years and amassing whatever you can and being nice to people and telling a few people about Christ. Your life is about much more than that when you get saved. Your eternity is about Jesus. Amen. Your life is about Him. And so when we start to think about all the former things, this former life, because that's what this will be known as, the former, who we were before Christ, will not come into our mind. Why? Because His glory is so wonderful and heaven is so great. All tears will be wiped away. No more crying, no more death, no more sorrow, because we'll be focused on Him and Him alone. And if that's not a comfort, then we're holding on to some worldly things that we need to let go of so that we can be used of God properly. We need to let go of whatever it is that's distracting us from serving Him. Serving Him to our fullest Loving people the way God wants us to love people. Bringing glory to Him the way He desires to be glorified. Worshiping Him the way He deserves to be worshipped. We've got some hurdles in our own mind, in our own flesh. We need to ask God to help us. Because when the fullness of times has come... It should be a comfort that when we see Him, we'll be like Him. When we see Him, we'll receive that new body, that new mind. And that when we get to those heavenly places, we're not going to be concerned with all the silly things of this former life. The only thing that matters will be Christ.